This is Fire Rescue One Side Alpha Podcast, putting fire service leaders in front of hot topics facing firefighters today. Now here's the executive editor of FireRescueOne.com and FireChief.com, Chief Mark Bashore. This is Mark Bashore on Side Alpha Podcast. Uh, we are here today with a man who really needs no introduction, Lexapol co-founder Gordon Graham, who is a risk management expert extraordinaire. Gordon, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Mark, for the invite. And thanks, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in. I really hope this time's worth your while. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, we'll be able to have a good conversation here that uh, hopefully all of the, the chiefs and firefighters and everybody listening to us is able to, to get some takeaways from. So I, I want to talk, uh, Gordon, if it's okay, we want to talk a little bit about the 10 families of risk that you've identified over the years. Could you give our listeners kind of a 30,000-foot um, explanation of those 10 families of risk, what they are, and, and uh, we'll kind of go from there. Just a, a brief bit of background, Mark. Um, most common question I get is, well, what do you mean you're a risk management expert? I thought you were a lawyer. Yeah, I've been a lawyer now for 38 years, and I've had a very successful practice and uh, couldn't be happier. But what a lot of people don't know is prior to law school, I did my graduate work at the Institute of Safety and Systems Management at USC. And if you're really bored some night, you can Google it. Uh, during that three-year window, I got hooked on the study of tragedy. In a nutshell, as a lawyer, I handle tragedy. As a risk manager, I study tragedy and look for cause. And when you identify the cause of a tragedy, then you can build some control measures to prevent future similar tragedies from occurring. So I've been on the lecture circuit now for 40 years, and way back when I got started on this, back in 1980, Gordon, I like what you're saying, but where do we get started? And I didn't have the answer. Gordon, I like what you're saying, but we face thousands and thousands of risks. Where do we get started? I didn't have the answer. You know, in the mid-90s, the question kept on popping up. So I put together the program you referenced, the 10 families of risk. What I've done is I've taken all the risks you face of the fire service, and I put them in the 10 families. And in my long programs, I challenge attendees. What I want you to do is when you get back to your respective fire service agency, I want you to take a look at each of these families and ask this question. With respect to my fire department, what are the three greatest risks we face in each of these families? And do we have sufficient control measures that are properly designed, kept up to date, and being taken seriously to address those risks? So that's the overview on the 10 families of risk. Okay. So the, as we look at those, as we look at those 10 families, uh, you know, the fire service is a, is a very, very dynamic, li- like most things uh, going on in the world in 2020, a very dynamic business. Um, you know, we have uh, evolved from the bucket brigade, bucket brigades of uh, Benjamin Franklin to uh, 500, 600, and $700,000 engines with firefighters uh, being paid anywhere from, you know, fifty to $100,000 and more, uh, managing uh, a myriad of issues and uh, concerns that we couldn't even fathom 40 years ago uh, when when I started in this business and when uh, you know you've been on that lecture circuit. So as we look at today, what family of risk out of the 10 that you've identified would you say is causing the most problems for the fire service and why? 
You know, very tough question, Mark. Um, each of the families has some very serious areas. Offhand, I would say the greatest risks we face today in fire service are the external risks. The weather is an external risk. Terrorism is an external risk. Pandemics are an external risk. Criminal street gangs are an external risk. You know, if your building is in the flight path of an airport, that's an external risk. If you have a prison or a jail in your community, that's an external risk. If you have universities in your community, lots of risk involved there. If your building is adjacent to a body of water, that's an external risk. If you have an interstate going through your community, that's an external risk. If you have train tracks going through your community, that's an external risk. And the reason I say this is the most difficult is families two through 10, we have a little bit more control over. Family one, those external risks, to answer your question directly, but I'm a lawyer and I get paid by the hour, so I have to stretch it out a little bit. But to answer your question directly, uh, that would be the most difficult family of risk the fire service faces today is family one, the external risks. Yeah, and I absolutely could see um, an easy extrapolation of that being the most problems um, being caused. There are certainly some one-offs within the individual families that might cause a specific problem that is larger, but uh, the volume of problems that the external risks cause uh, is definitely uh, – um, I agree, definitely something that um, that we look at. So as we talk about the families of risk, I want to real quick, I want to hit uh, what those 10 families are. You just identified number one, which happens to be the one that uh, you, you've indicated is probably causing most problems. So just by name and, and for our listeners, number one is external risk. Number two is uh, legal and regulatory. Number three, uh, strategic. Number four, organizational. Number five, operational. Number six, informational. Number seven, human resources. Number eight, technology. Number nine, financial and reputational. And number 10, political. So yeah, those are know. some, yeah, th yeah, those are some significant issues for people to think about. And, you know, I think so many times about firefighters that join and they um, uh, firefighters that join and think, hey, I'm just going to go ride the uh, used to be. I'm just going to go ride the back step and we're going to have a good time. It's a business and it's a uh, it's a courtroom in and of itself. Every time you come to work, whether you realize it or not, would you agree with that? Oh, 100 percent, 100 percent. You know, everything you do in the fire service involves a level of risk. And I don't want to bore our listeners, but you're hiring people. There's a level of risk. And I said this in Texas to a group, and, you know, a guy says, no, nah, it really doesn't apply to me. I've only got six people working in my department. My response, six plaintiffs and six defendants. What do you yeah. mean? Six people, chief, who potentially are going to sue you. Six people, chief, who potentially are going to do something incredibly stupid and cause you to get sued. You're firing people. Oh, I can get rid of him for any reason I want. He's just a volunteer. You know, you can get rid of a volunteer for no reason. You can get rid of a volunteer for any reason. You just can't get rid of a volunteer for the wrong reason. You know, and yeah. everything, and this is what I want to get across to chief officers, is everything that gets done in the fire service involves a level of risk, bar none. Budgeting is filled with risk. Fill the boot campaigns are filled with risk. Sexual harassment is filled with risk. Everything you do, the thought that, you know, oh, this guy's going to talk about the safety stuff. 
you know, safety is part of it, folks. But everything you do involves risk. And that's the way you got to be thinking in your business. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I can't tell you, um, you know, one of them is political. And we'll talk a little bit about that at, towards the end. But the political risks uh, that people face in this business, uh, most chiefs don't pay nearly enough attention to the political risks that are out there and managing those risks. So I appreciate you bringing some light to that. And like I say, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Um, as we talk about the 10 families here, um, we talked about external risk being the one causing the most problems. But is there one that you could identify that's maybe the fastest growing family of risk for the oh, fire absolutely. service today? Uh, family eight, the technology risks. I got one question for you, Chief. Who's your chief technology officer? And again, I'm going to bore you with this. I was born three years too early. 1953 is the sweet spot for all the tech gurus. Think it through. If you were born in 53, when you turn 16 and you're in high school, 1969, 1970, that's when computers were brand new and you got in on the ground floor. I was born three years prior to that. So I'm a tech idiot, and I know that. I'm a tech idiot. I'm on the lecture circuit. I go around and I talk to people. Hey, so what do you do for the city? I'm the chief technology officer. And I start talking to these people, and I know more about technology than they do. Now walk down this logical road with me. If I'm the idiot, and I know more than they do, that's a problem lying in wait. You know, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Just because someone knows more about tech than you do does not mean they're a technology officer. You know, we've got to respect this risk. This is the fastest growing family of risk we face. Ransomware, malware, software, hacking, all these issues are real. And so many people are completely oblivious. Well, things like that don't happen here. Oh, guess again, bucko. It can happen to your agency. You can get hacked. You can get taken over. You'll get that email. We'll release your your whole system to you for $50,000 in Bitcoin. Now, what are you going to do? Too little, too late, folks. You got to make sure that you have real, real chief technology officers. And sadly, in a lot of government agencies, and that includes the fire service and my former professional law enforcement, holy moly, we are really, really behind, uh, behind the curve on that. Yeah, yeah and I... I can speak with the organization that uh, I, I work with currently. They have a great chief uh, technology officer, and um, you need a hawk like that within the organization, within the government, really, not just within the organization, because the interconnection of your systems and the things that work between agencies and, and cross-county platforms, it really needs to be someone who's watching that carefully. So I appreciate you bringing that up as the, the fastest growing let, let me follow up with this, Mark. Yeah. Many of the listening to this today, for many of the chiefs listening to this broadcast, you have a million dollars worth of software sitting on a shelf someplace where you got sold a bill of goods by some quick talking salesperson and it doesn't work. It's not compatible with your other systems. It bogs down the whole process. You know, wouldn't it be nice to have somebody knowledgeable sitting next to you before you bought some software, before you bought some hardware for that matter? I mean, I still see hardware purchases where, come on now, that is so far out of date, it's unbelievable. And you're paying good money for that. You know, we've got to be good stewards for the public trust. 
and taking care of our budgets is absolutely essential. And a lot of money can be wasted if you don't understand the tech risks. Yeah. Now, and uh, stewards of the uh, of the public's money. The point I harp on all the time about public trust and being a steward of the public's money. So, you know, tying that together with risk management and the whole technology piece, that's a great uh, that's a great takeaway for me. So I, I definitely appreciate that. So um, one of let's go back to politics for a second. We mentioned it, but I want to talk about uh, uh, politics for just a second. So the the family risk in, with respect to political risk. We've seen dozens, if not hundreds, of firefighters caught up in political strife over the past, uh, let's say, over the past year. Um, what advice would you give company officers on how to keep uh, their personnel out of political trouble? And I know before you answer it, I know the words political trouble is such a broad topic, but from the perspective of risk management, can you give some advice of how to keep people out of that uh, political risk category? Well, you know, in a nutshell, there's two types of things that firefighters do. Uh, some I call non-discretionary time, where you've got to think very quickly and act very quickly. Two in, two out is an example of that. Very risky, done very rarely with no time to think. Tail rotor failure on a helicopter. Uh, very risky, done very rarely with no time to think. Uh, AED usage, very risky, done very rarely with no time to think. In long programs, I call those the core critical tasks. If you don't get anything else out of this brief time we have here together today, politics, it's all discretionary time. Slow down, put away the meth, get into some heroin. Think before you do something stupid. Let me tell you a horror story that repeats over and over and over again. You're a, uh, you know, I'll use a law enforcement example, but it applies to the fire service also. You're a supervisor, and I get this call, sadly, about once a year. You're a supervisor, and you get a phone call from another agency. Uh, we'd like to bring you in as our chief officer. You know, we'd like to bring you in as our chief officer. And I remember the very first time I got this call, he says, what do you think? What do you think? It's going to pay me this much money. And I said, well, let me ask you this question. What do you know about budgeting? You're a supervisor. What do you know about budgeting? Uh, nothing. What do you know about uh, the Fair Labor Standards Act? Nothing. What do you know about dealing with the union? Nothing. I recommend that you don't take this job. I recommend you don't take it. These are things you learn as you go up through the ranks. You promote from firefighter to company officer. You learn things as a company officer. You move into the BC ranks. You learn more things. And after years in BC, you're picking up all this stuff from experience and dealing with it and watching what your chief does. And you sort of figure these things out. When you make that jump from supervisor to chief, that's a very big deal. So I advised this guy. I said, I wouldn't take the job because I don't think you're ready for it. So six months later, he calls me up and he says, I took the job. Do you have any advice for me now? And I said, well, seeing as how you heeded my advice the first time around, I will have <laughs> you some advice. How many people on your city council? And he says, there's five. I said, you never talk to one city council person alone. Never. If you're going to talk to one, you talk to all five. If you're going to send an email to one, you send an email to all five. 
If you're going to have a phone conversation with one, you include all five. There are so many uh, laws in various states, and I don't know all the states that we're dealing with here today, on, you know, you've got to have this conversation with everybody. Oh, that's excellent advice, Gordon. Thank you very much. Two years later, he calls me up and the same guy, and he says, I need a lawyer. For what? He says, there's a possibility I'm going to get criminally indicted. I said, for what? He said, I had no support from city council. They fought me on everything. One member came up to me and promised me his support. He was very influential on the council, and he gave me this, and he gave me this, and he gave me this, and he took care of me on all these budget issues, and he did this, and he did this, and he did this. And then one day he came to me and he said, look, my son's trying to get on the fire department. Would you hire him? And, you know, I, I might have taken some shortcuts on the background investigation, and I, I might have done this, and I might have done this. Holy moly. And now you're looking at a possible criminal indictment for hiring somebody who had nobody, no business in the fire service? You know, dealing with politicians is filled with rest. Now, many of them are good people, but... You know, they're concerned about getting reelected and they will do anything to get reelected. And if that means telling you one thing and doing the exact opposite, that's a problem for you. And you don't don't get yourself burned. Think it through. You know, this is one of my pet peeves and something I'm working on on Fire Rescue, Fire, uh, Fire Rescue One, is this institutional knowledge. I got chiefs listening to this podcast today. Chief, individually, you know a lot. Collectively. You know everything. You know, slow down and ask somebody else, this has popped up. How do I handle this? The group collectively knows everything. And so keep an eye on Fire Rescue One because uh, I'm really seriously working on this institutional knowledge where we can learn from the collective knowledge of the group rather than have to experience it ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I love the... Uh, politics is all discretionary time. Slow down. Uh, I think if anybody can get it away from this, and I've got several that I'll go over at the end, that um, that is that is a big one. So I appreciate that. One more thing to talk about before we uh, ask the final question. So I have two questions here. One is about uh, a little bit about social media. And as we talk about uh, the different uh, families, you know, number six is informational risk. So as we talk about um, social media, and again, we talk about hundreds of firefighters and chiefs that we've seen either in positions where they've been terminated from their jobs or they're being investigated for this or that. And, you know, we have commission and council members in the same boats uh, because of this beast called social media. Uh, does, is that where uh, informational risk comes in? Is that one of the things within that family? Is the social yeah. media a beast? And if so, how do we how do we help them deal with this? Well, I know there's a, a variety of people listening to this. Let me start with the line personnel. Uh, try to look for me on LinkedIn. You're not going to find me. Look for me on Facebook. You're not going to find me. I have no presence on social media. I have no presence. To me, it's an unacceptable level of risk. It's an unacceptable level of risk. You know, I get a monthly email from our high school class president, Gordon. You are the only member of the class of 68 not on Facebook. Join now. And every month I send him an email back. I did not like you in 1968. And trust me, nothing has changed. You know, 
what are the risks? You are exposing yourself to the world and you type these things in very quickly and they come back to haunt you. If you want to have a presence on social media, please be smart. I wish there was a way that you could type stuff and hit the button and you'd have a two-hour window where you could delete that before it left because a lot of people regret sending these things and a single email can cost you your career. A single posting on Facebook could cost you your career. There's not a week that goes by that I don't have somebody in my law office who is in big trouble for inappropriate behavior on some social media site. Now, let's go to the other end of the spectrum. For those of you who are chief officers, recognize that social media is a very, very hot topic. But guess what? There's not one decision you will ever have to make, chief, involving social media that needs to be made right now. It's discretionary time. Slow down before you call someone in and threaten them or tell them they can't post that. You need to make sure you're on solid ground before you start disciplining people for what you think is a violation of a policy. Your policy might be unconstitutional. Don't forget we got a First Amendment which includes a freedom of speech and there's a fine balance between freedom of speech by your employees and things that will negatively impact your organization. So please don't think you understand these things. You know, transfer the risk to competent counsel, to competent HR people who understand these things because that is a big deal. Employees getting disciplined for essentially taking advantage of their First Amendment rights. So for those of you, you know, who are on social media, please be careful. Think before you post something that can come back to haunt you. You think it's yucky, 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 funny. That stuff regularly comes back to haunt people. And chiefs, when you think that somebody has crossed the line, do not confront that employee unless you really think it through and transfer the rest to the subject matter experts. Hey, chief, I'll bore you with this for a second, chief. You got this yeah. major event in your city. You've got a hostage situation where this guy is adjacent to a preschool, got an old folks home on the other side. He's got hostages in this place. He's got uh, weapons. He's got ammunition. He's got, uh, he says he's got acid in there. He's got gas. He's going to blow it up. And here you are working in a command post with everybody else trying to figure out how are we going to handle this major, major event? How are we going to handle it? Chief, I'm sorry to bother you, but we've got the director of human resources on the outside perimeter. They want to give you some advice on how to handle this barricaded suspect with all these weapons and all these issues. You know what? If human resources tried to give you uh, advice on an operational issue, something out in the street, you would laugh, laugh, laugh. That's exactly what HR people are doing when you think you understand employment law. You don't know jack about this stuff, Chief. You don't know jack. Don't pretend that you do. You're out of your league on this. Slow down and talk to somebody before you go half off half-cocked and try to discipline some employee or you confront this employee and then you view their response as insubordinate and now you're taking action on this. Your, cha your case is going to fade like a cheap Kmart beach towel and you'll be in big trouble. Slow down and think before you start trying to take action. Great advice. Great advice. The dominoes that fall as you go down that slippery slope um, are, are, you know, is a game that you don't want to find yourself in the middle of. Got one last question uh, before we uh, kind of wrap up here, and that is that, you know, identifying risk is great. We've talked about the 10 families and identifying risk. 
but how do we, uh, just in one question, and I know we can't answer this in the time we have allotted in, in total, but how do we manage risk? And by that, I'm asking you to tell our listeners what are um, the, the uh, specific things that typically cause them problems. So there are, you know, there's people in policy and training and those kinds of things. What are the things that they should be focusing on? If you can put it in a nutshell and wrap it all up in a nice little gift, can you tell them what those things are so that they've got some direction as they, you know, we've identified it. Now we need to manage it. I am going back to 1975. I'm sitting in graduate school at University of Southern California at the Institute of Safety and Systems Management. And we had this professor standing up there, Chater Mason, and he said, it all gets down to RPM, RPM. And I'm a motorcycle cop back then. I'm thinking, RPM, that's one of the dials I got on my motorcycle, revolutions per minute. Nope. Recognize, prioritize, and mobilize. Recognize the real risks you face in your department, Chief. Again, the 10 families, the takeaway, what are the three greatest risks we face? Prioritize these risks in terms of frequency, severity, and available time to think. Remember, things that give you time to think, use it. And then mobilize. And how do you mobilize? You mobilize by creating systems. Please remember that degree I picked up prior to law school was the Institute of Safety and Systems Management. I love systems. If you take a look at Webster, they define systems as processes, procedures, structured approaches to doing things. I love systems. For our limited purposes here on this podcast, I will define systems as policies. I love them so long as they meet the DUI rule. Design, update, and implementation. And here's a blanket statement, Mark. You show me an organization, private or public sector, that makes a commitment to systems where they're properly designed, kept up to date, and fully implemented, I will show you an organization that stays out of trouble, that avoids tragedy. On the other hand, you show me an organization that ignores the value of systems where they're not properly designed, they're not kept up to date, or they're not being properly implemented, I will show you an organization either in trouble or en route to trouble. One of the things I try to get everybody to do on every podcast, on every webinar, in every live program is visit lexapol.com forward slash presentations and take a look at my recommended rating list. It's free. Obviously, I'm biased. It's all books on risk management. And there's a great book on there by Jody Gattel. I got two words for you about Jody Gattel. PhD, MIT. This woman is brilliant. She's got a great book called The Southwest Airlines Way. Southwest Airlines is a remarkably successful organization in terms of profit, in terms of safety, in terms of not losing luggage, in terms of being on time. At the end of a couple hundred pages, she tells you their secret. Southwest Airlines has made a commitment to systems. They have made a commitment to systems. You know, United Parcel Service, what were the numbers last year, 2019? 87 firefighters died around America, 150 some odd cops died around America, 500 truck drivers died around America. Of the 500, how many work for UPS? None. Why? They've made a commitment to systems, design, update, implementation. 
You know, the Intel Corporation, I did some work for them on a construction project. Their injury rate on their projects is 10% of the national level. How do they do that? They have made a commitment to systems. For our limited purposes here today, let's talk about policies. Are they properly designed? Are they up to date? Are they being taken seriously? And I cannot, cannot uh, avoid making reference to Lexapol. Lexapol will give you well-designed policies that are kept up to date. I make you that promise. That's why Bruce Prey and I formed this company 20 years ago. We were both frustrated cops who recognized these policies are just wrong. And everybody's got a different wrong way of doing business. We built this company. I promise you, we will give you well-designed policies that are kept up to date. Then all you need to worry about, Chief, is the implementation. Making sure your team, your people, your unit knows the policies that apply to their job and follows the darn things. Not some of the time, not most of the time, but all of the time. So to answer your question specifically, Mark, you manage your risks through well-designed policies and procedures. Okay, outstanding. I uh, I want to recap some of what uh, Gordon talked about. Uh, you know, we've been talking with uh, uh, Gordon Graham, a Lexpol co-founder, and you can follow him obviously on lexapol.com. So uh, some uh, recap from today. Number one, uh, that external risk causes most problems for the fire service. Number two, that technological risk is the fastest growing risk for the fire service. And the specific question we should be asking each other is who is your chief technology officer? Number three, a, a different takeaway, is that you can fire a volunteer or anyone for any reason, for whatever reason, just not for the wrong reason. Number four uh, is a little bit broader, and that is that you know there is non-discretionary time like two in, two out, like maydays, like putting uh, water on a fire. It's non-discretionary time. And then there is things like politics and social media that are discretionary. So for politics and social media, Gordon's uh, admonishment for all of us is to slow down. Don't make decisions in the same vacuum for politics and social media that you do for firefighting. Uh, things that need to be addressed, but definitely the difference between discretionary and non-discretionary. Number five, transfer the risk to competent, legal, and human resource people. Number six, on how to manage the risk that we've identified, recognize real risk, prioritize the frequency and severity, and then mobilize by creating systems. Gordon, I appreciate your time with us today, uh, and I appreciate our listeners um, following with us on FireRescue1.com and FireChief.com uh, to ask questions and to give us some feedback on this podcast. This is Mark Bashore. I'm executive editor for FireRescue1 and FireChief.com. Keep safe, stay smart, and take care. We'll see you next time on Side Alpha Podcast.